Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! It may be because he's Swiss, I don't know, in terms of European style. I can take you to Suplex City tonight, bitch. Can you say the alphabet backwards? Walk and whip your ass backwards. You're not funny and nobody likes you. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. We're back, folks. Here on Wrestle Rant Radio for June 7, 2016. I am Graham GSM Matthews. And like I said a few weeks ago, guys, coming off the excellent Extreme Rules pay-per-view, the 2016 summer season was going to be one of the most stacked summers in recent memory, if not of all time. And so far, it is not disappointed. I mean, let's go back a few weeks ago here. Seth Rollins came back at the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, which I was at. Great time. Great show. We had the brand split news break. Only days later, SmackDown's going live starting this July. We got SummerSlam coming up. TakeOver the end tomorrow. TakeOver Brooklyn the night before SummerSlam. We have Brock Lesnar competing in the UFC for one more time, for one more fight this July as well. Like I said, guys, I mean, I think so far, I mean, past summers have really set the bar in terms of great summers, but so far, so good. It's our so far, so great, I should say, for WWE, the world of wrestling, and beyond. It's just been uh, a very entertaining full predictions for the show at the end of this episode of Wrestle Rant Radio. I will be watching the show with John. Like I said in hashtag asked you some yesterday, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this will be my first time watching the show uh, with John. Anything NXT related with John, actually, which is very exciting. I mean, we've watched Raws together, we've been to pay per views together, we've been, we watched pay per views together. Um, and SmackDowns and whatever else, but never NXT. So I'm looking forward to that. That should be a great show. Like I said, predictions, picks, and previews for every match on the card, scheduled match on the card coming up at the end of the show. Um, like I said, talking about Raw in a little bit. TakeOver Brooklyn, a little bit of news here. The tickets go on sale tomorrow for the presale. I've tried to get, you know, I've tried to take advantage of the presale before, but I feel like the tickets go out, they sell out so quickly. They sell out in literally minutes. So I can never take advantage of that. I mean, I'll be up by 10 a.m. tomorrow, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm going to try to take advantage of it, but I never really am quick enough, I guess, to get the tickets I want. And that's never like floor, you know, ringside tickets or anything like that. That's a, like a hell of a lot of expensive, and I usually just get tickets all the way in the back. Just to be there for that show is enough for me, uh, to satisfy me just to be there for that event. So I'm looking forward to that, and I already, I've already had my tickets, obviously, like I've said before here on the show. For SummerSlam and the Raw the next night. So I'm looking forward to that blockbuster weekend. That should be an amazing uh, an event to look forward to over the next three months, over the next two and a half months. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, of course, first and foremost, before we get into Raw, before we get into TakeOver predictions and whatever else, we have to address the elephant in the room. Brock Lesnar set to return to UFC for a one-off fight on July 9th against Mark Hunt. The news broke over the weekend um, on Saturday, actually. Saturday night, Sunday morning, whatever. It was Saturday night, technically. Um, at UFC 198, maybe it was 199, I'm pretty sure it was 198, but either way, so I had John over my place on Saturday, and I went upstairs real quick, and I wasn't really on Twitter for most of the day, but I checked Twitter, and people were, you know, the rumors were running rampant that Brock Lesnar or something had leaked from Ariel Hawani, um, that was a whole other story in and of itself, that he was banned from UFC, I guess they lifted the ban, thank God, I thought that was stupid, but anyway, so he broke the news on MMAfighting.com or one of those websites that Brock Lesnar was in negotiations with UFC to fight one more time for UFC 200. I didn't believe it. Many people didn't believe it. I just found it completely 
unbelievable. I guess is the word for it just because um, he's currently signed to the WWE and never in a million years did I think something like that would happen. So fast forward a couple of years, a couple of years, fast forward a couple of hours and uh, John took off and I was watching TV and my brother had ESPN on and just so happened when he changed the channel to, ES- to ESPN and I was paying attention, I see John and the Coachman and Shell Sonnen breaking the news that it's official. It was made official at the end of UFC 198 with the pay-per-view on Saturday night that Brock Lesnar is back. The Beast is back, baby, for UFC 200 next month against Mark Hunt. I mean, the news didn't break until Monday. Lesnar didn't reveal his opponent until Monday on ESPN uh, Sports Center, or whatever, <clears throat> that he was facing Mark Hunt. But the, um, the news first officially broke that he was fighting, period, at the show on Saturday. And I could not have been any more ecstatic. So a lot of thoughts about this, obviously. Is Brock Lesnar, I've got a lot of questions about this, and hashtag SGSM on Twitter, I see a lot of questions and concerns and, you know, excitement obviously is in the air, which is great. I'm certainly excited for it. Um, So a lot of questions here. Is Brock Lesnar still WWE? Yes, that goes without saying. I'm actually kind of shocked they did not mention it on Raw last night. I mean, it's not like they're not acknowledging his presence in UFC. They went so far as to put out a press release. I mean, probably capitalizing off of the... uh, all the buzz and the and the press releases and the media and whatever, the media attention that the whole fight garnered on Saturday night over the weekend. But WWE put out a press release late Saturday saying that Brock Lesnar is still under contract with the WWE and he will compete in the UFC 200, at UFC 200, as a one-off opportunity. And then after that historic milestone, as they called it, he'll be back in time for SummerSlam on August 21st. So a lot in that one little press release there, only in a few sentences... Um, so Lesnar is back in the UFC for a one-off opportunity. He's sticking with WWE. I believe his contract expires next spring or the following spring, either in 2018 or 29 or 2017 or 2018. I want to say it's 2018, but I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, um, this is big news. Like I said, obviously, if you can't tell, I'm pumped for it. And the thing is, is that it's a win-win for MMA and WWE fans because I did not at all want to see Lesnar leave the company when he was on the verge of leaving Back late la- or early last year, right before WrestleMania 31, his contract had expired right before WrestleMania or right after WrestleMania, whatever it was. <clears throat> and there was a lot of speculation. There had been strong speculation for months that Lesnar was on his way out of the company. He wouldn't resign. He wanted to go back to UFC. He was in you know fighting condition. He hadn't been going to training camps and blah, blah, blah. So you know everyone was pretty much guessing that he's going back to the UFC. Ultimately, he resigned and he said on ESPN that you know, his mind wasn't there, he was still passionate about it, but he just didn't really feel like he was in the right mindset to go back inside the octagon, whatever, so he re- he resigned with WWE, putting an end to his MMA career, for now, until July 9th, 2016, so I guess when he resigned, although the, despite the fact that when he resigned, he said that his MMA days were over inside the octagon, he apparently had a clause in his contract that said that he could work a UFC show after negotiating with Vince McMahon. I was shocked more than anything else that that was never revealed ahead of time. That wasn't revealed when the contract was signed a year and a half ago, not by WWE, but you would think, you know, a Wade Keller or a Dave Meltzer or someone would have had the inside scoop on this long before Ariel Hawani did on Saturday night. Um, But apparently not. So like I said, really taking the entire world and the internet and everything else completely by surprise by that little piece of news there. And I think it's great. I think it is absolutely awesome that we will see Lesnar not only in the UFC 200 for one more time, for one more fight, and then back in time for SummerSlam as well. That is, again, a win-win deal for WWE and UFC fans in that. I really want to see him fight one more time. So I said to myself before he ultimately resigned with WWE last spring 
that, okay, if he leaves WWE, at least we get to see more of Lesnar in the UFC because at the time he was in the UFC, I mean, I was still, I was still, a ca- I am still a casual UFC fan at best. But I had watched a few of his fights. I watched his fight when he won the title against, I believe, Cain Velasquez, or maybe, or maybe he lost the title to Cain in September of 2010. But I won. I saw when he won the belt. Maybe against Frank Mir. I think that was the fight that I saw in July of 2010. I don't know if I was there for the when he dropped the title that fall. Um, but I did watch his final fight in UFC at the tail end of 2011. The match went like all of. Um, a minute and a half. He got knocked out in like the first round or whatever against All-Star Overeem in a total disappointment, announcing his retirement right afterwards. You know, two rounds of uh, diverticulitis or whatever the hell it's called. I know what it's called, but it's just completely difficult to uh, pronounce. But you know what I mean. I believe he had one or two rounds of that or whatever it was, and he had a lot of health issues. Lesnar talked about that in his book that I read a couple years ago. Great read, by the way. Definitely check it out. <clears throat> but Lesnar has always been very open about doing it for the money. And he said that on ESPN on Monday. And that's what I love about Lesnar. People can't say, oh, he does it for the money. He has no passion. He doesn't like wrestling. But yes, he admits that, though. He does not try to pretend to be somebody that he's not. That's why I admire the Beast incarnate as much as I do. He is just completely open about his desires and just doing it for the money and just making a paycheck. He's not there to be one of the boys. He's not there because it was his lifelong dream to, to become a WWE wrestler. He is there to make money. He is there to make money and become champion so he can make even more money. You know what I mean? So that's what I love about Barack Lesnar. I've said that before, but he was very open about that in his interview with um, someone from ESPN on Monday. I didn't see the interview. I just read about it. He did do a cool little interview for uh, Paul Heyman's YouTube channel on Monday night, right before Raw. You can check it out, the Heyman Hustle. But uh, yeah, just bottom line, big news. I'm looking forward to this. I remember, and I'll talk about this quickly too, um, back in 2011, back in 2011, I think it was, late 2010, I remember rumors of when Lesnar was still in the UFC, obviously. I don't know if his health was up to par or if he was just getting better. That um, There had been rumors that he was going to compete at WrestleMania after the whole Lesnar-Taker thing, which five years later led to another series of matches in 2014, 2015. Some really good matches from those two. But um, So there was a rumor going around in late 2010 after that whole confrontation between Lesnar and Taker at UFC, one of those shows. I don't, I don't remember what... I'm, I'm pretty sure actually it was after one of Lesnar's fights when he dropped the title to Cain Velasquez in uh, September or October 2010, whatever it was. So they had that confrontation at the show, which led to a lot of speculation that Lesnar was coming in for a match against Taker at WrestleMania in Atlanta for WrestleMania 27. Obviously, it didn't come to fruition. I was hoping it would. Um, I, maybe Vince asked Dana White if he could borrow Lesnar for this one fight and maybe earn something for, for something in return. Obviously, Dana said no, and that was the end of that. But it's amazing to me. Again, over five years later, five and a half years later, that dream, but in the reverse scenario where it's Lesnar and WWE working a fight for UFC uh, 200 is finally coming to fruition. So I think it's great. The cons of this, like I've said before, <clears throat> which a lot of people are worried about, two things. One, if it gets hurt, which is obviously the primary concern, um, and it was also revealed on Monday from some wrestling news website. I think I, I read it on Lords of Pain, but it also came from like PW Insider, blah, 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 that before Lesnar can fight at SummerSlam, he has to be cleared by the New York State Athletic Commission, or whatever it is, um, after the fight from UFC. So if, he's, if he suffers a pretty serious injury at UFC 200, then he can't compete at SummerSlam. And WWE already has him booked. He didn't say who he's facing. He has no idea who he's facing at the show. Um, so I don't, I don't know really what, you know, what, what that would hold. I mean, I guess they would have to pull Lesnar from the show. Maybe he would have to make an appearance. Or maybe, I don't even think he can appear in the show if he's not cleared by the New York Athletic State Commission, whatever the hell it's called, like I said. 
But anyway, though, um, so that was interesting. I don't, th- I don't. Again, I can't even say well, whether he will or won't get injured in the match or in the fight with Mark Hunt because from what I've heard, Mark Hunt is no easy dude. I mean, I saw some picture of some jaw the guy broke, um, someone's jaw that that uh, Mark Hunt broke in a previous fight, and um, he's like 12 and 10. He's a real badass, and he's not going to be, you know, a pushover for Lesnar in his return to the octagon. So. It should be a hard-hitting affair, and I'm excited for that. It's not going to be a completely one-sided flop. Hopefully not, in, in case of Mark Hunt. Um, but uh, in, in the case that uh, it's going to be an, ex- an exciting match, it's going to be a hard-hitting affair, like I said, but hopefully Lesnar doesn't get hurt. That's the first con. The second con is whether he loses or not. And like I said in Hashtag on Monday, I feel as if that if he, uh, if he does get, or rather if he doesn't get hurt, but if he just com- gets completely obliterated by Mark Hunt, he's done in a minute and a half, and the fight is, that, is as embarrassing as his last fight five years ago against All-Star Overeem or whatever, at the tail end of 2011, that will do damage to Brock Lesnar's credibility in WWE. He can always come out and, and you know squash a member of the social outcasts or beat up on Dean Ambrose again, and the guy's going to be just as over as he was before. Um, but it would hurt that mystique that Lesnar has in WWE if he was completely squashed at UFC 200. Again, I don't foresee that being the case, as Lesnar has said himself. The last time we saw him in the octagon, and even for the past couple of years before that, he was still suffering from diverticulitis, um, even in its early stages before he got into the octagon, as Paul Heyman alluded to in that interview I talked about earlier. <clears throat> so, I mean, this is Lesnar at, if not at 100%, then close to 100%. So, it's going to be interesting to see how that really plays out in the fight, whether it will be as one-sided as some people think it will be. Who knows? But I'm looking forward to it regardless. But um, in terms of whether it's going to hurt his mystique, it could if he just gets completely, you know, abolished by, uh, completely squashed by Mark Hunt. If he loses, yet via, via referee decision, and he looks strong in defeat, and he's not completely squashed, and he doesn't get knocked out... He'll be just fine. Lesnar will be just fine. Um, but it would add a lot. It would add a lot to Brock Lesnar's aura in WWE, even more than it already has, to um, to beat Mark Hunt and then go into SummerSlam. You know, winning his return to UFC, winning his return to the Octagon, and then whoever he faces at SummerSlam will benefit from being just in, alone, not even beating or losing to, just being in the ring alone with uh, a, a hot commodity right now in Brock Lesnar. And who that person might be, I have no idea. I mean, uh, we've heard rumors of Bray Wyatt for a few months. I'd be fine with that match. I'll talk all about this in a future article for Hidden Remote, which should be up over the weekend, um, in terms of potential opponents of Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. But there's Bray Wyatt. Randy Orton would be a great big-time match. I would love to see that. Never before done other than like on an episode of SmackDown in like 2002. But other than that, we've never seen Lesnar versus Orton in a big-time marquee match on pay-per-view. And even in, as, you know... It, with Orton being the way that he is now, when they first faced off, you know, 14 years ago on SmackDown, Lesnar, or rather Orton was just a rookie. And so is Lesnar to a respect, so to an extent. But anyway, um, so we'll talk about that when we get to that over the weekend in my article for Hidden Remote. But just in terms of the whole news breaking with Lesnar, you know, competing for the UFC at 200, like I said, I think it's a win-win. From what I've heard, the pay-per-view that airs over the weekend, uh, UFC 202, the night before SummerSlam will be just basically one giant commercial for SummerSlam, which is fucking amazing news for WWE. There's been a lot of questions whether we might get a Ronda Rousey appearance out of this, whether we might get a Conor McGregor appearance out of this for WrestleMania. And again, I talked all about this in more in depth on hashtag AskGSM, but um, I feel like Lesnar didn't really answer the question when he was asked on the ESPN. He kind of dodged the question in terms of, you know, whether WWE is set to get something out of this whole deal. I expect there, you know, to be some sort of trade-off 
with Lesnar going to UFC. And he's, again, he's not there to make an appearance. He's not there to be the special guest ring announcer. He's not there to award a title to somebody. He's there to fucking fight. He is putting Vince is putting one of his biggest stars, if not his biggest star, at risk of serious injury at one of UFC's biggest pay-per-views of all time. <clears throat> of all time. And UFC is absolutely direct competition to WWE. They may not be pro wrestling, but any sports, any form of sports, any form of entertainment is direct competition to WWE. WWE has it worse than just about anyone else when it comes to competition. You know, TV shows have other TV shows. Raw has those other TV shows. Uh, wrestling as a sport has baseball, has football, you know, all the UFC, obviously, um, which currently has two of their biggest stars in UFC competing at, you know, in, in WWE competing at UFC 200 and then CM Punk, hopefully UFC 202. So again, uh, they are absolutely direct competition, which is why it shocked me that this whole deal came about, but in a pleasantly surprising way, not in like, oh, they shouldn't have done that way, or this is going to be awful way, but shocking in a great way. Um, something I did not see, or basically anyone did not see coming, and I think it's going to be beneficial to both sides. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Like I said, I'm looking forward to the fight. I've not watched the UFC fight in a while. Um, I used to watch the old pay-per-views in my uncle's house, and I'm hoping to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. I got a whole gift card for my birthday last week. Thanks to everyone for the birthday wishes, by the way. I appreciate it. Um, I got a Buffalo Wild Wings gift card last week for my birthday, so I'm going to use that by going to Buffalo Wild Wings for uh, UFC 200. I'm looking forward to that, and hopefully I can hang out with John the same day for uh, some SmackDown versus Raw GM mode per usual, which I got to hang out with him over the weekend and do that as well, so that was great. But anyway, getting off track here. Yeah, it's just a very exciting news and very exciting time to be a WWE and uh, UFC fan, MMA fan right now. For both worlds, I think it's a win-win deal. So enough about that. We'll move along here. Like I said, I was kind of shocked that wasn't alluded to on Monday Night Raw at all. There was a big Muhammad Ali tribute who passed away on Saturday uh, at the age of 74. I might as well mention that. I mean, obviously the most well-known and arguably the greatest athlete, if not even arguably, the greatest athlete in history, um, passing away at, at 74 on Saturday. He's had Parkinson's disease for a while now, so he's been sick for a while, but still it was a bit surprising. He's had a lot of um, a lot of work done with WWE. He's you know, he was a huge wrestling fan. He did a lot of stuff with WWE back in the 70s and 80s with Gorilla Monsoon. He was a special guest referee for a fight with uh, Antonio Noki as well. He was a special guest referee for the inaugural WrestleMania main event. So why this guy is not yet in the Hall of Fame, the celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame, I have no idea. And maybe they do it next year. I know we have fucking Drew Carey in there. We have Arnold Schwarzenegger, but we don't have Muhammad Ali. And you would think, too, it's not even like he's an obscure name and he's done a lot for WWE. He is the biggest athlete, the most well-known athlete probably of all time. And WWE has never really acknowledged him in a more prominent fashion up until his death. And again, it wasn't bad blood or anything. It just blows my mind. I don't know what the reason was that he wasn't inducted earlier. Um, Again, the same reason probably why Cyndi Lauper hasn't been inducted yet. And hopefully she gets inducted sooner rather than later. That just blows my mind why she isn't in either. I know Lawrence Taylor, who competed in the WrestleMania 11 main event. One of the worst WrestleManias of all time. One of the worst WrestleMania matches of all time. But he still deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. If William, the refrigerator Perry, could get into the WWE Hall of Fame in the celebrity wing, I have no idea why, you know, Lawrence Taylor or Cindy Lauper can't get in there either. And hopefully it's only a matter of time. I know I'm getting sidetracked here, but that just blew my mind. I'm just thinking about Muhammad Ali not being in the WWE Hall of Fame. So hopefully we get that next year at WrestleMania 33. I'd hope so. Um, but anyway, speaking of Raw, kicking off the show, we had all the Money the Bank combatants starting the show, standing on separate ladders. We had Chris Jericho, Sami Zayn, Alberto Del Rio, Kevin Owens, 
Cesaro and Dean Ambrose all talking about why they will win the Money in the Bank. And I fucking loved this. This was one massive train wreck, but I fucking loved it. So all six of these guys are just spitting fire at each other, going back and forth, back and forth. Kevin Owens, hilarious as usual. Dean Ambrose was pretty good. Cesaro was better on the mic than usual. Del Rio was his usual self, calling people pedos and shit like that and calling Sami Zayn a paperboy for some reason. And then Cesaro was making fun of... Uh, oh, no, there was one... There was It was towards the end of when they were talking before the returning GM came out. They had Jericho say that, uh, I'm in a better spot than all of y'all. I have won a Money in the Bank ladder match before. And everyone was like, no, you haven't. He's like, yes, I have. Which one did you win? The first one? The first one, really? It was something like that. Really? Uh, when did you win it? Uh, it was the sixth one, not the first one. The first or the sixth? Which one is it, Jericho? Uh, it doesn't matter. I've won a Money in the Bank ladder match. Well, where did you win it and when did you win it? Uh, it was so great. You know what I mean? Just guys, Sami Zayn and Jericho specifically going back and forth. And Jericho's like, Apple? <laughs> Just, I missed the exchange there towards the end. I was... I, you know, I, it was kind of loud in my household. I didn't hear exactly what they were saying towards the end there. But then Cesaro took a shot at where Jericho is from. And then Jericho said, I'm from Winnipeg, you idiot. And I popped huge, popped huge at that. Anyone who has ever seen the Survivor Series 09 pay-per-view had to have been laughing their ass off that one comment. And Jericho even talked about it, I think. Um, was it recently? I think it was recently in one of his podcasts. But he also talked about it. I was reading his book um, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks and a couple of weekends ago. And he mentioned it as well, and I just lost my shit when I heard him say that last night. So, anyway, a Pier 6 brawl ensues. All Everyone, you know, all six guys, a Pier 6 brawl for six competitors. They all start going at it. Ladder is just flying everywhere. And then, you know, it's the Mac Militant. Teddy Long comes out. His first WWE appearance in nearly two years. So freaking random, and I have no idea what he said. He just made no sense talking about six-man Iron Man challenges. It was... Completely bizarre. So Stephanie comes out, kicks Teddy Long out of the arena. We had him throughout the show on multiple points in the show. Again, he serves no purpose. Unless this is leading to old GMs coming back every week. And he ran SmackDown too, so I don't know why he was back on Raw. But anyway, um, I fucking love this. I fucking love this. And I was you know, talking to uh, Tom last night, my co-host from WWEC Radio. And we were texting back and forth during the show. And he said, oh no, anyone but Teddy, anyone but Teddy. And I said, you know what? Like I said earlier, like I said to you guys, this is a massive train wreck, but that was fucking great. And I love Teddy Long. He was not good there at all. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but he's a guilty pleasure of mine. I love the Mac Milton Teddy Long. He's just so great. And um, I don't think he's going to be brought back as the GM of SmackDown. Obviously, Stephanie announced last night that will be her. But um, for what it was worth, a lot of people didn't like the comedy they did with Teddy last night, but I popped huge. I thought it was great. This whole opening segment was awesome. People may not have liked it. They thought it was you know, this and that, and it was a mess, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of criticism regarding that one segment, but I fucking loved it. So after that, that led into Cesaro versus Chris Jericho. We had Money in the Bank matches throughout the night with, um, you know, the combatants in next month, uh, next Sunday's rather Money in the Bank ladder match, all six guys squaring off against one each, uh, you know, against each other. First match of the night, Cesaro versus Chris Jericho. Very entertaining match. Not the first ever encounter these two have had. They had a couple matches back in 2013 that were pretty short-lived. And I just remember being so disappointed that the match was over in like fucking two minutes. And that was back when Cesaro was, you know, he was like U.S. champion at the time, but they were doing nothing with him whatsoever. And they really didn't see him as a, as a potential star. So they gave away the match on free TV and it was over in like two, three minutes. And they weren't really able to go out there and have the match they were capable of. Thankfully, they had the match they were capable of 
on this show, excuse me, the crowd was kind of quiet early on. The crowd wasn't great on this show. Um, they came alive at certain points, but you know, by and large, they were pretty quiet. They were not a great, they were not a great crowd, Oklahoma. But um, anyway, so they came alive down the stretch for the matchup. Cesaro and Jericho have a very entertaining chemistry here, having great chemistry in this match. In the end, very fun final few sequences. Our final finishing sequence from Cesaro and Jericho. Cesaro finishes off Jericho. With the Cesaro swing, forces him to tap out. The sharpshooter scores the victory. A big momentum builder for Cesaro going into Money in the Bank. Uh, great match. And like I said on Twitter last night, I would love to see a future feud between these two guys. I feel like they would gel so well. And I don't know how long Jericho's around for. I know people have talked about it before, whether he's going to be around until, you know, Money in the Bank or Battleground, SummerSlam. I feel like at this point he will be sticking around until SummerSlam. Um, I mean, he's at Money in the Bank, obviously, so he's sticking around for a few more weeks at the earliest. But... He's just been doing the best work of his career right now. I mean, I guess he could leave after Money in the Bank and still do the network special on uh, in July in Japan, I believe, which is the ad- which he's advertised for. But then again, he was at the special last year. He faced Neville in a really good match, and he won. And he wasn't a part of the company at that point in time. I mean, he was with the company, obviously, but he wasn't like on TV doing storylines and shit. So I would hope that he sticks around until at least SummerSlam. I would really love to see him in action again at SummerSlam after seeing him at Extreme Rules a couple of weeks ago. Um, but who knows? Anyway, so that would be a great match slash great feud for SummerSlam um, in a few months if they, you know, if Jericho's still around by that point. So great match anyway. Rusev versus Jack Swagger up next in a rematch from the, the uh, prior week's episode of SmackDown. And uh, I mean, it was a decent match. I mean, Swagger and Rusev, regardless of how many times we've seen this match over the past two years, which is no short of a million times, they always work well together. And I feel like I mean, again, they probably should have had this match on Memorial Day. That made no sense to do it on SmackDown and not do it on Monday's Raw. They had Zack Ryder face Rusev, which was fine, but Swagger, you know, epitomizes America, so why wouldn't he have faced Rusev, the U.S. champion, on Memorial Day? Made no sense. Anyway, though, um, they had the match on SmackDown. This match was even better, I'd argue, and they were in, you know, Jack Swagger's home state of Oklahoma. Rusev won via countout after pushing Swagger into Titus O'Neil. And then Swagger and O'Neal attacked uh, Rusev afterwards. So I don't think we're getting a triple threat from these three guys at Money the Bank. I just imagine it's going to be Rusev and Titus O'Neal. Neither, you know, nor should he be added to the match. Jack Swagger, I like the guy. He got a nice little reaction last night in his home state. But he's damaged goods. We saw him feed with Rusev, you know, in 2014 and multiple times. We saw him face Rusev multiple times in 2015. And they already feuded over the U.S. Championship at TLC 2014. So why would I want to see it again? We've seen the match and feud a million times before. Just keep it with O'Neal and Rusev, which isn't that much better. But at least it's something new, so we'll see how it plays out in the uh, in the weeks to come. But still, decent match, though, better than expected. I like the finish. After that, Rusev taking on, or rather, he just took on Jack Swagger. Um, anyway, after that, John Cena coming out, not Rusev, to call out AJ Styles. And I loved this segment. I thought this whole segment was really, really good. And John Cena, for as much shit as we give this guy from time to time... As the um, you know, as the poop talker, and he's making all these unfunny jokes and all this dumb comedy, blah blah blah. He was on fucking point on this show, and that's been evident for years. But I will always see people complain. Oh, for one thing, seeing his back, oh, it sucks. Get over it, people. Two, he's one of the best mic workers in the company right now. If he hasn't been for years, I mean, again, this has been the case for a long time now, and we saw a lot in his feud with Kevin Owens last year. That when Cena is serious and he's in the zone, he's untouchable. No pun intended, you know, oh, so you think I'm untouchable or you think you're untouchable. You know, the whole basic economics thing. Pun, I guess no pun intended, but you know what I mean, though. 
when he's serious on the mic, he is fucking golden, as he was in this show. The only thing I didn't like about Cena's promo was the fact that he brought up how AJ Styles failed in the Rumble, and then he failed to win the championship twice. Um, did not paint AJ in the best of light. I mean, I know he put him over. He said he's been a big star outside of WWE work this, you know, his entire career to get to this point for the past 15 years. I get that. I understand that. But I just feel like he didn't really need to point out and... Yeah, I don't think he buried AJ, but calling him a bust, I felt like was taking it a little bit too far. They should be painting this as a dream match, as Cena wanting this match to, you know, and he, well, he was talking about it in that way when the segment first started, but after AJ came out and said that he'd wrestle circles around John Cena, which is true, he, they just kind of turned a corner and John Cena said, you're a failure, you're a bust. Again, you don't want to make those casual viewers think that Cena, that rather that AJ Styles has been a failure since coming to WWE. He's been anything but. He may not have won any championships so far. He may not have won many pay-per-view matches so far. But he's had probably three of the past five match of the year candidates on the main roster since he arrived in WWE. With Chris Jericho, with Kevin Owens, with Roman Reigns, with The New Day in that one episode of Raw a couple of months ago. He has had some of the best matches on WWE TV out of anybody this year. So to call him a bust, I felt like it was a little bit too far. But that aside... AJ Styles retaliated by saying, you know, all you, all you know, you, you guys know that anyone who faces you, John Cena, all the young guys, they just end up getting buried. We all know the, you know, we all know your big old grand scheme here. And I popped big, not because they brought up Cena's patented shovel. And it's not Cena's fault, I would argue. I would argue it's creative, always just <clears throat> kind of booking themselves into a corner with a lot of John Cena's feuds. He might lose the first match, like he did with Kevin Owens, but then he'll go on to win the next two, and then win the feud. No one ever gets the better of John Cena in any feud. Not even the fucking Rock, who beat him clean to WrestleMania 28, only for John Cena to get his win back the very next year. I could only imagine what Daniel Bryan was thinking when he retired and John Cena could not get his win back over Daniel Bryan. And even Daniel Bryan has been beaten by John Cena. They had a match on Raw in 2012, and Cena beat him there, Cena beat him there as well. Don't ask me how I remember that, but... Anyway... Getting back to what I was saying, though, I thought other than that one line from Cena about Styles being a bust, I thought it was great. Styles' promo was really, really good. Um, I'm glad they kind of kept him apart. Cena roughing up the club later on in the night, I could have done without that, but, you know, they had to give him the upper hand at some point after being laid out in his return, so I was fine with that. And I'll talk about the main event in a couple minutes, but I thought this whole segment was really, really good. I thought it would lead into the six-man tag team match between New Day and the club right then and there. Um, but it didn't, and I'm glad it didn't, and they saved it for the main event slot instead, so nice little hype for the main event match later on in the show. Um, with the New Day, I mean, here's the thing, I like New Day feuding with the club, they're in the same tag team title match, you know, next Sunday at, uh, at Money in the Bank, I almost had Extreme Rules, they, you know, New Day face fought villains at Extreme Rules, Money in the Bank, the fit of four-way tag team title match. Uh, but here's the thing, though, I mentioned this in my Raw review last night, for nextdaywrestling.net, cheap plug, check out the review when you can, the written review. But, um, so I said this last night in the review that hopefully in John Cena's feud with the club over the next couple of weeks, months, whatever, that they are not consistently teaming with John Cena as much as the Usos were a couple of years ago. The Usos are almost vehemently booed every single time they come out now. I couldn't help but boo. And I'm usually the one doing the whole Uso whenever they come out. I couldn't help but boo when I was at Extreme Rules and they just came out and people just shit all over them. Teaming with Cena was the, the, the first part where people started to turn on the Usos. Then when they started teaming with Roman Reigns, that's, that's when people can pretty much completely turn on the Usos. Hopefully they don't do the same thing with the New Day. They have a great thing going. People like the New Day. They're over. They're popular. They're selling merch. 
let's hope that they don't become, you know, John Cena's little buddies and then people start turning on them too by association with John Cena. So that's my own little nitpick there. Again, not a major concern, just a little small thing I saw here. This was the first time that we saw New Day and John Cena standing side by side. They were rivals for a couple of weeks, obviously last fall, but other than that, they've never been allies. So here's hoping that this is not a you know, regular partnership. Because it does, you know, it's not like Cena is becoming cooler or more popular with the IWC by team with the New Day. Actually, it's the other way around. He's bringing their popularity down. Or rather, maybe not, that might not be the word, the right phrasing. I think um, in, in teaming with John Cena, people just start to think of the New Day as overexposed. They're stale. They're teamed with someone that I don't like, so I'm not going to like them either. Hopefully, again, like I said, they don't become a regular part of John Cena's act in his feud with the club over the next couple of months. Again, just a small little gripe and a small little fear I have for the future. Uh, but moving along from there, we had the Vaudevillains taking on Enzo and Cass. I was kind of surprised to give this match away so soon. I mean, they only had the angle, the injury angle a month ago. And then Enzo came back last week on Raw, or two weeks ago on Raw. And they're already going back in the feud. I guess Enzo and Cass are done feuding with the Dudley Boys. I was hoping they'd have a rematch of the pay-per-view. Apparently not. And they're having the tag team title match instead, which is fine. But, um, so they're doing, you know, Enzo and Cass versus the Vaude Villains. They're in the same tag team title match. I think it's great. They're picking up where they left off. And they're feeding with the guys that put Enzo out on the shelf. This whole, the booking of the match was a bit weird. Enzo and Cass pretty much dominated the Vaude Villains. And before they could win the match, Aiden English comes in, tosses Enzo through the ropes, and attempts to recreate the scene that we got at Payback last month. And I thought he was going to dodge it, or he was playing possum, or something along those lines. That wasn't the case. Aiden successfully threw... Uh, Enzo Amore into the ropes again. Didn't legitimately hurt him, but he kind of rang his bell a little bit, so that was a bit odd. And then Big Cass just goes on a complete rampage, dominating both Aiden English and um, Simon Gotch. Which goes back to what we've been saying for months now. If he can dominate the Dudley Boys and the Vaude Villains on his own, then why does he need Enzo? Hopefully they don't break the two up in the split. That's the big, that's the big uh, you know, point of discussion right now, the whole brand split in the draft and whatever else. I'm really hoping that these two do not get split up in the draft because they, they see something in Big Cass as a singles competitor. Can he be a single star down the line? Maybe. Right now, it's a lot better if you just put him with Enzo because the two have great chemistry. They've been teaming together for years now and they have yet to win tag team titles. After they have their run of the tag team championships, maybe then you could you know have them go their separate ways before reuniting again down the line because I'm sure that's going to be the case. They're going to break the two up thinking they're going to have a big star and big cast, you know, a la the New Age Outlaws with Billy Gunn back in 99, and he's going to flop on his own before they reunite the two as the most popular tag team of the modern era. So, um, again, I don't want to see Big Cast fail on his own. I'm just thinking that's the way it's going to play out. I hate to be a pessimist, but I don't know. That's just my fear. But anyway, um, the segment was fine. Um, it was fine. You know, it was decent hype for the... Fatal four-way tag team title match come Money in the Bank next Sunday, which should be very exciting. So after that, we had Sami Zayn taking on Alberto Del Rio in a decent match. I believe the first time, the, the first ever one-on-one encounter between these two men. So a good match. The crowd was kind of dead, um, not only because they were pretty much dead the entire night, but they didn't really have a give a, you know, did not give two shits about Del Rio, so I was not surprised about that. Match was fine. I really had no problem with Del Rio winning. People were probably pissed about that, but... Two things. One, Sami Zayn's an underdog. He loses more often than he wins anyway. Two, Del Rio needs a win. The guy's a fucking loser. No one cares about him. I'm sure people aren't taking him any more seriously to win the briefcase after this win than they were before it. But still, it always helps to build some credibility after he's just been fucking losing nonstop. I couldn't tell you the last singles match Del Rio won before, um, you know, other than the Money Bank qualifier against Zack Ryder a few weeks ago. I could not tell you 
the last singles match this guy won on TV. Other than, I guess he beat Kalisto a few weeks ago anyway. Um, a few weeks ago as well. But you know what I mean, you know what I'm saying though. The guy's a fucking loser. So I'm, I'm fine with him winning here. What did stick out to me though was that his finisher is awful. And I know he's been doing it since he got back. And it looks, you know, it looks like it could hurt. It looks like it will hurt. It look, you know, he's putting all of his weight on your chest. But the setup is so asinine that I wish they would just do away, they just do away with the move forever. And then just give him back the backstabber, the super kick, the armbar, whatever the hell it is, I don't care. It would be infinitely better than giving him whatever the hell this, you know, uh, tree of woe finisher shit is. Because it takes him so fucking long to set it up. It just looks so ridiculous. So he goes for it the first time. Sami Zayn battles out, tosses Del Rio off. And then when Sami Zayn's sitting up, Del Rio comes up, bashes his skull on the ring post. Sami Zayn started bleeding either from the mouth or he had a, from the mouth or he had a cut or something. I don't know. So then Del Rio goes for it again. As Sami Zayn's draped over, and in the ring post, it's going to hurt, but it's not going to knock you out for 20 minutes. So Del Rio, he knocks out Sami Zayn, presumably, runs, or not even runs, gradually goes up to the top rope, does his little, or whatever the hell he does, whistles, taunts a little bit, holds off for a second, and then does the move. What looks even worse is that Sami Zayn, whoever he's facing, Del Rio's facing, they're holding the top rope, waiting for, him deli- waiting for him to deliver the move. Again, it looks so stupid. Why not just give him back the armbar? I know that it's, it's not even like the armbar is a finisher. We need to give him a pinfall win. No, you know, a finisher that he can finish up people with, you know, via pinfall or it comes out of nowhere. This is the farthest thing of coming out of nowhere. This is almost like the, the reverse RKO. You could see it coming from a mile away, which is why it's so unrealistic. And again, it looks like it could hurt. And people have talked about, they, someone asked me last night, um, Armchair Booking, I believe his Twitter username is, he tweeted me during the show last night saying, how can Del Rio have that finisher, but Seth Rollins can't have the curb stomp? And I totally agree. It makes no sense. He looks like he could legitimately give someone a concussion with this fucking move. But apparently, according to Seth Rollins on uh, Talk is Jericho last week, great interview, by the way. Check it out at your leisure. Talking with Chris Jericho. He said that when he was on Goody Morning America, and the timeline fits perfectly, not like Rollins would lie or anything, but the timeline fits perfectly. After he was on Good Morning America, after becoming champion, they were showing highlight packages of his finisher, and Vince, at that moment, had an epiphany that, oh, the, you know, the kids are going to copy his finisher, because if they see it on these shows, and they're going to copy it. And, you know, Del Rio's never been on Good Morning America, so that's never been an issue for him, maybe once he wins the title, which hopefully is never, um, and he's on Good Morning America, and they see him doing this move, maybe then they'll ban it, but... It has an equal chance, if not a bigger chance, of giving someone a concussion that the curb stomp does, pretty much. Um, it's essentially the same thing. But that's the reason for anyone wondering why he does not do the curb stomp anymore, because Vince was afraid of fans, you know, little fans, imitating the finisher, which is the case for any move, so it's a completely invalid argument, but you understand where I'm coming from. So moving forward, Del Rio Zane, fine match, just a stupid fucking finish. I'm not talking about Del Rio winning. I'm just talking about the finisher that he uses. The Tree of O shit is just... So awful. So after that, we had Charlotte and Dana Brooke come out. Charlotte talking about, you know, kicking her father to the curb. They were just shoving this down her throat. The actual segment when she broke off from Rick was just not good. It was confusing. It was just all over the place. Very uncomfortable. Charlotte was in the mic that night. And they've just played video package after video package. Replay after replay. It's like they just won't let it go. 
which all signs point to them bringing back Ric Flair in some former, you know, capacity or whatever to feud with Charlotte or to reunite with Charlotte, which I just don't give a shit about. Keeping him with her would have been fine. But to have the two feud, where you get a pair or you're gonna pair Ric Flair with Becky Lynch or Natalia, like just leave it be. Put the focus on the women, the wrestling, and the title. Don't put it on Ric Flair and their family and their family drama bullshit, which makes no sense anyway. Because she didn't have a you know, she didn't have a problem with Ric Flair not being there for her earlier when she won the championship. She's been healed for six months. It's not like she turned heel and then turned on him. It's not like she lost the championship and then kicked him to the curb. Nothing really changed from when they were together at Extreme Rolls to the next night on um, on Raw. So anyway, I talked about that a few weeks ago. In terms of this segment, it just really didn't have anything else to it. Charlotte talked about Ric Flair for five minutes. Dana Brooke just kind of stood there aimlessly. Out came Natalia and Becky Lynch. They talked back about how ruthless she was for betraying her father and saying, you know, she Charlotte just betrays everybody, whether it be her father or Becky Lynch or Paige or whoever. And Dana Brooke was like, oh, I don't know if I should be associating myself with you. And she kind of backs away before attacking Natalia and Becky Lynch. The brawl looked awful. Charlotte was fine in the brawl. Dana Brooke looked terrible. She could not throw a work punch to save her fucking life. It looked terrible. John pointed that out to me a few weeks ago, but it was really evident, painfully evident in this segment that she does not know how to throw a work punch or a kick or anything. It just looks so totally fake which is why she's so much better with Charlotte so she could be protected and limited in their matches. Um, anyway, though, so the segment itself was was what it was. I guess they're building to a tag team match at Money in the Bank between Charlotte, Dana Brooke, and Italian Becky Lynch, which is fine, but it just screams a Raw match. Like, I don't have any real desire to see that match. Unless it's a four-way or unless the title's on the line, I don't give a shit about seeing Charlotte and Dana Brooke taking on Italia and Becky Lynch. It's just... Again, a raw match to me. With nothing on the line, there's really nothing special about it. Tyler Breeze and R-Truth. The less about said about this, the better. Um, the match went only a few minutes. Thank God it ended in no contest, and they moved right along. Teddy Long tried to make it a tag team match, tried to restart the match, but then he got kicked out of the building. He had no booking power, so they did not restart the match. Thank God, and that was it. Um, small note, though, I like Brazongo. I like the pairing. I mean, it's kind of a waste of Tyler Breeze, but they're not doing anything else with him, when, you know, with him any, anyway at the moment, so... I guess it's better than nothing, and he's also on TV more often than not, so at least he's you know getting some TV time out of it. But at any rate, and I was texting Tom back and forth, like I said earlier, during Raw last night, and he mentioned how he likes the small little minute details with like Brazongo and the matching attire and the similar Zoolander stupid, you know, they're kind of just very ignorant personalities, and I think it works to a T. Unfortunately, Zoolander is no longer popular, as it was 15 years ago. The sequel sucked. I saw it in theaters. It was not a good movie. Probably the worst movie I've seen all year, which is not saying a lot. And I've seen a lot of good movies, because, I don't know, it just was not a good movie at all. But, and kind of a disappointment. But, getting back to what I was saying, though, I like the chemistry these two have together. The matching attire, whatever. It's not an ideal scenario for Tyler Breeze. I understand that. But, again, it's better than nothing. So after that, we had the main event, the club versus the New Day three-on-two handicap match. It was supposed to be the New Day versus the club in a six-man tag team match, but Xavier Woods got taken out with a Styles clash on the outside before the bout, which looked fucking cool. That was great. Um, so I liked it. The New Day were protected in defeat. The match itself was entertaining. The club won, as they should have, and John Cena comes out to wipe out the club, not by himself, but with help of the New Day, to end the show. So, uh, good shit. I like the main event. Good stuff. I'm really looking forward, obviously, to Money in the Bank and Styles and Cena. 
And I should mention this too. I Obviously, I must mention this. The video packages that aired last night for Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, I thought were on point. Neither guy was even on the entire show. They didn't wrestle. They didn't appear before the live crowd. This was a much better way of furthering their feud than having Rollins come out and troll the crowd by not saying anything or not doing anything. This was a much better use of Seth Rollins. The video package itself was amazing. Now, Roman Reigns always comes across much better in the pre-taped interviews than he ever does you know, on a live mic or whatever. That was you know, very apparent before WrestleMania 31 in his WWE 24 special. The guy seems very humble. I feel like Roman Reigns is a guy who is so cool, but the character just doesn't click, and you want to hate the guy because he comes off like a total douche. But anyway, though, he came across very well in his respective video package. Rollins, though, I really like the aspect. It was basically a, a five-minute, you know, summed-up, shortened version of his WWE 24 special, which I talked about with Sal here on the show last week, which was great. Check it out if you haven't already. Just awesome shit. So, anyway, so they basically, it was a 24 special summed up in a six minutes. And you can't, like I said last week with the 24 special, you can't come away from this not wanting to cheer Seth Rollins. Coming out of these, this video package, the 24 special, whatever else, he comes out of this stuff looking like the biggest baby face in the world. Unless a double turn is in the works for the next pay-per-view, and I don't think it is, unfortunately, and I wrote all about that for Bleach Report a few weeks ago, then they're really wasting a golden opportunity to turn this guy into the baby face that he can be. Um, with how popular he is and the story writes itself with him being a babyface. Again, I won't completely shit on the direction they're currently headed in, depending on where it's going and depending on you know what they do with Seth Rollins. They could do the turn. I just don't think it's likely. I don't think it's happening. But anyway, that was a great way of furthering their program. And overall, I thought Raw was really, really good. Uh, those two video packages were great. The Muhammad Ali tribute was awesome too. Very well done, which is you know not surprising at all. WWE is always on point with their video packages and production values and shit like that. Uh, but overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, three very good matches from the Money in the Bank guys. The main event was really good. You know, some filler, the Breeze and our truth stuff, the women's stuff wasn't that great. Uh, Rusev and Swagger was better than expected. The tag team stuff was good. So in the opening, I thought was fucking great. The Teddy Long stuff kind of fell flat with some people, but I enjoyed it for what it was. So overall, thumbs up. A very enjoyable show, and I'm looking forward to Money in the Bank next Sunday. But first, we've got Wednesday coming up. TakeOver The End, NXT TakeOver The End this coming Wednesday, live on the WWE Network. I cannot wait for this one bit. It's going to be a phenomenal show. No different than any other special they've had in the past two and a half years. Arrival, TakeOver, TakeOver Fatal 4-Way, Our Evolution, Rival, Unstoppable, Brooklyn, London, Respect, and Dallas have all been great. I think this is the 11th special that WWE is going to be doing, so... Um, again, not a bad one yet. I couldn't even begin to rank all 10 of these specials because they're all fucking good. So check them out if you haven't already on the WWE Network. They're all awesome. This one should be no exception. So starting with my predictions for the show, picks, predictions, previews for each match. Um, this match was just added to the card last Wednesday or last Thursday, rather. Ty Dillinger beat Buddy Murphy on an episode of NXT. Begging NXT general manager William Regal for a match on the show. William Regal complied and gave him a match with the debuting Andrade Cien Almas. We talked about here on the show a couple of months ago when RJ and I were at NXT Live um, at, in Lowell in the end of April. A really good match between Manny Andrade, who is now going by the name of Andrade Almas, with uh, Austin Aries. That was a great match, and he should have a great showing here as well. So they usually do have debuts at each NXT TakeOver special. The last one was Nakamura and Austin Aries making their in-ring debuts. Before that, we've had, you know, Asuka make her in-ring debut at one of these shows at Respect, I think, in Brooklyn. It was Apollo Crews and Jushin Thunder Liger. 
at Unstoppable. They had Samoa Joe debut. We could see Bobby Roode pop up, but I'll talk about Bobby Roode at the end of the predictions and whether we see him on the show or not. But in terms of this match, the first showing, the uh, first impression of Andrade Almas, I predict will be a very successful one. The guy is a great athlete. He was one of the most shining stars. One of the biggest shining stars coming out of the NXT live show I talked about you know, months ago with RJ that we attended in April and Lowell. So I'm looking forward to this. Ty Dillinger is a great fucking athlete. They should be doing a lot more with him than what they're currently doing, which is basically nothing. But anyway, this should be a fun match. I'm looking forward to it. So obviously I got almost winning and hopefully Dillinger goes on to do more um, once guys like Balor and Nakamura and Joe get called up to the main roster because the guy basically is the, in addition to being the perfect 10, he's the perfect package. And they could be doing a lot more with him than what they're doing right now, which like I said, is almost nothing. So after that, for the NXT Tag Team Titles, American Alpha taking on the Revival. Um, this match should also be really, really good. Their Dallas match was great. The rematch that I saw at NXT Lowell was also very good in the Mayhem of Massachusetts, or Mayhem in Massachusetts, rather. Um, this should also be another really good match in the two teams. I've got, obviously, American Alpha retaining. There's really no reason to put the Tag Team Titles back on the Revival. They've already beaten you know, Enzo and Cast. They beat the Vaude Villains. Uh, I feel like just keep the belts on American Alpha, at least for the next special. Because I feel like with all the rumors of them getting called up sooner rather than later, they could drop the belts in Brooklyn against, you know, Gargano and Ciampa or TM61 or whoever. And then go on to get called up to the main roster, which is long overdue. I mean, they're, they're fine right where they are right now in NXT. But, uh, I mean, I think it's only a matter of time. These guys are stars. Fucking stars. So it's only a matter of time before they get called up. But in the meantime, though, they will retain the NXT Tag Team titles on this show. After that, for the NXT Women's Championship, Asuka defending against Nia Jax. And like we talked about last week here on the show with uh, Sal, it looked like it was a shoe-in that we were getting Nia Jax versus Bayley, but apparently that's not in the cards. I don't know if they didn't want it to do. They didn't want to do three, three straight rematches from Dallas with the tag titles and the women's title in the main event. Maybe. I have no idea, but uh, they're saving. They're holding off on that match until after, you know, until, until Brooklyn, hopefully. Hopefully we'll get the rematch from those two at some point. That was a great match in Dallas. I look forward to the Inevitable rematch between Asuka and Bailey, and hopefully once she loses that match, Bailey gets called up to the main roster that following Monday for Raw, wishful thinking, but in terms of this match, Nia Jax has gotten better. I'm not a big Nia Jax fan, but she has gotten better, and Bailey got a pretty decent match out of her. The London match, I was not a big fan of. The rematch in NXT from a few weeks ago, I was a much bigger fan of. I thought that was a really good match. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what she can, um, what Oscar can get out of Nia Jax on the show. And they kind of already teased doing this match many months ago back at London when Oscar beat Emma, and they had a kind of a face-off backstage. So it's been a uh, many months in the making. So I'm looking forward to this match. Oscar retains, no reason to take the title off her, unless you know Bailey goes after Nia Jax in Brooklyn, which again would make no sense. We've already seen that match before. Oscar and Bailey too makes more sense. So I've got Oscar versus Nia Jax, or rather Oscar going over Nia Jax in this matchup. After that, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Austin Aries. This should be an instant classic. No different than Nakamura versus Sami Zayn in Dallas. I'm very much looking forward to this match. Obviously, Austin Aries looks to be bound for a heel turn sooner rather than later. I don't know if he loses here and then goes heel afterwards. They save the heel turn for a future NXT episode. I'm not exactly sure. But the match itself should be really, really good. They also could have Bobby Roode debut here who's been teasing us on Twitter for weeks, months even, you know, dating back to TakeOver Dallas two months ago. He's been tweeting soon, stay tuned, I'm getting tired of waiting, so I could very well see him getting, you know, debuting on this show, if not at the next set of tapings, the next night, which would not surprise me at all, but I'd much rather see him, you know, debut on this show, Um, and he could help out his old, you know, Dirty Heels tag team partner, Austin Aries, and you could see the Dirty Heels versus American Alpha, the next special, 
But in that case, though, I mean, as great as that would be, I think NXT needs more single stars right now with uh, Balor probably getting called up. They need Austin Aries as a top heel on the show. But um, either way, I've got Nakamura going over here. I could probably see them doing Nakamura versus Joe for the title in Brooklyn, which would be kick-ass, and I cannot wait for that whatsoever. That should be a phenomenal match. So that said, i got Nakamura going over here, and Austin Aries not going heel on this show, but likely on a future episode of NXT, which is for the better anyway. He's been doing really good work since coming to NXT, but I think he is better suited in the heel role. And then we get to the main event, the steel cage match, the first ever steel cage match in NXT history for the NXT Championship, Finn Balor, going for the gold against Samoa Joe. And the thing about this match, and I've talked about this here on the show before, about how steel cage matches in WWE nowadays mean absolutely nothing. Are they good? Yes. Are they exciting? Not really. Because every single fucking steel cage match, with the exception of the Asylum match from a few weeks ago from Extreme Rules, almost always, 95% of the time has interference, which completely defeats the purpose of having a steel cage match. It's supposed to prevent interference, but if anything, it invites interference. So, steel cage matches, not even in, on the main roster, but just in, w, in, in TNA and in other promotions, they feel like they mean nothing. They mean, just, they mean nothing. So that being said, though, the point I'm trying to make is that not to discredit WWE or other wrestling promotions, it's to put over NXT for making their stipulations mean something. NXT has been around in this current form for almost four years this month. Four years this month. I forgot what the exact anniversary was that NXT aired its first ever episode hailing from Full Sail University, but it was four years this month. And in those four years, they've had multiple, you know, very even few, very few no disqualification matches. They'll have, you know, a handful of two out of three count falls matches. But other than that, I mean, we've had two ladder matches, one steel cage match as of tomorrow, and that's it. One Iron Woman match, Iron Man match, whatever the hell you want to call it from last year. And again, that's it. NXT does not blow through stipulations. They don't have, in the first ever in-ring encounter between two people, they don't have, you know, a fucking last man standing match or an Iron Man match or a hell in the cell. They don't waste away opportunities like that. When you wait and hold off, for a stipulation, for it to mean something, when the time is right for a feud that requires a stipulation, it means something. Obviously, Balor and Joe, for the, you know, the only match ever to headline three straight takeover specials, or headline three takeover specials, period. And I love the feud. The feud has been really, really good. And I'm talking all about this in an upcoming article for Bleach Report over the weekend. I was hoping to get it up tomorrow, but I'm pushing it back until Sunday. My top five greatest feuds in NXT history. And you could sure as hell bet that feud is on the list. These guys have had some great storytelling since the start of this feud back in the fall with um, Joe coming in, demanding a title shot against Kevin Owens. He got kind of overlooked in favor of Finn Balor. They team up together for the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Pair up Joe and Balor win the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Joe asked for a title shot. And as he said last week on the show, the interview, by the way, that sit-down interview was fucking great. Awesome shit from those guys in last week's show. The sit-down interview I thought was on point. Absolutely amazing. Check it out when you can. But anyway, so Joe comes in feeling he's entitled to a, to a title shot. And then Balor says, yeah, sure, I'll give you a title shot. But William Regal puts Joe in a battle royal instead, which he loses thanks to Tyler Breeze. And he beat Tyler Breeze later on anyway. Balor defends against Apollo Crews, ends in a, in a disqualification. Joe comes in, turns on Finn Balor. We get that feud going into London. Balor retains, barely survives, but retains the title. Joe works his way back up, beating Sami Zayn in a two out of three falls match to become the number one contender again, loses once again to Joe, or rather to Balor in Dallas, but finally beats him at the show that RJ and I were at 
at Lowell Mass, in Lowell Mass, in April, and another great match to finally win the NXT Championship, Balor invoking his rematch clause, and one of the most ruthless rivalries we've ever seen in NXT, absolutely in requirement, absolutely in need of the steel cage stipulation. Bottom line, this is going to be a great match. Um, If booked properly, again, no interference. NXT, I have faith. They won't overbook the match. You know, booked, overbooked the match to shit. You know, even if Bobby Roode came down to interfere, I could see him, you know, coming out afterwards. Maybe not during the match. And I would hope not during the match. But um, anyway, I'm looking forward to this. So there's really no reason to put the belt back on Balor because he seems to be mean roster bound anyway. He's done everything in NXT. What is there left for him to do? He won the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. He won the NXT title. He was the longest reigning NXT champion in history. What else is there for him to do? He's beaten everybody. It's time for him to get called up, and um, I'm looking forward to that. So, Balor and Styles on the line. Sign me up, hashtag book it, Joe Nakamura. Hashtag book it, sign me up, yes, please. All those matches, both those matches should be great in time for the summer season and the months to come. So, final prediction, Joe retains the NXT Championship on Wednesday. And those are my predictions for NXT TakeOver the end. So, like I said, we could see Bobby Roode debut, I hope so. If anywhere, probably in the Austin Aries match. If not after the main event, he could just make an appearance and like he did it, you know, in Dallas. But um, if I had to put my money on it, my beer money, pun intended, um, I could definitely see him debuting on this show, if not at the next, you know, night of taping. So if he doesn't debut tomorrow night, do not be discouraged. We could very well see him debut um, and on NXT the very next night at the set of tapings at Full Sail University. So anyway, guys, I'm super looking forward to NXT TakeOver the end on Wednesday, SummerSlam in a few months. We've got Money in the Bank coming up, Slammiversary on Sunday. No predictions. I'm sorry. Um, I wanted to do the predictions for TakeOver. We don't have much time left. We're pretty much out of time as it is. But I really wanted to talk about, you know, TakeOver the End on Wednesday because that's the show I'm looking forward to. I'm also looking forward to Slammiversary. I have no idea what time I'm working this weekend. I am going back to work this weekend at the movie theater. So um, I will be working Sunday. If I'm working Sunday night, whatever, I'll watch Slammiversary on Monday. But if I am around for it, I will watch it live. The card is pretty good. You got Drew Galloway versus Bobby Lashley for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship in a uh, submission-slash-knockout only match. You have Gail Kim versus Maria. You've got Ethan Carter III versus Mike Bennett, who's been a shining star in that promotion since arriving earlier this year. You got Jeff Hardy versus Matt Hardy in a full Metal Mayhem match. And I know that promo that closed that Raw last week was just all over the place, and that was the big talking point on Twitter over the past week. Um, I thought it was funny as hell. I enjoyed it, but that's just me. Uh, so you got that match going on, Full Metal Mayhem. I'm looking forward to that. So maybe I'll get some Slammiversary thoughts come next week's WrestleRant Radio. But in the meantime, in the between time, guys, that indeed does it for WrestleRant Radio here today. But before we go off the air, you can check me out on the Twitter machine on WrestleRant, at WrestleRant, rather, on the Facebook at facebook.com backslash Matthews on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Matthews. Videos are going up pretty much every single day for hashtag AskGSM. WrestleRant videos, WrestleRant radio excerpts, random video blogs, and a number of other miscellaneous videos, interviews, live reaction videos, you know, videos I took at shows that I went to, and so on and so forth. So be sure to subscribe, follow, like the page. All the support, guys, is amazingly appreciated. Be pumped. Get amped for NXT TakeOver the End on Wednesday, guys. We'll be back next Tuesday with another all-new episode of WrestleRant Radio right here on NextAirWrestling.net. Until then, have a great week and weekend, folks. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch you down the road.